Good morning. Hey, uh, can you hear me? Yep. I just want to say I love being here because I absolutely love your pastor, Justin. Pastor Justin, one of the greatest men of God. He's like a little brother to me. And so I please, please don't view me as a guest speaker this morning. I am part of your family. Uncle John is back in the house is the way it should be looked at, right? Okay. And so I just want to say hello to the other locations. Um, I've got something that's just burning in my heart that I want to share with you. And I, I also want to say I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. One of the great excitements of today is not only being able to bring the Word of God to you, but it's able to meet Gabriella. And so believe me, we've walked through this process, prayed, and I, I, my heart is so filled with joy about this, and I just want to see the fulfillment today. So anyway, um, there is something burning, burning, burning in my heart that uh, I really believe God laid on my heart. I spent all last year writing a book to the body of Christ that I believe is a right now word. I want to share it with you this morning. And I just don't want you to get information. I want to see your life transformed. And the only way that can happen is if we ask God to do it. So how many of you actually believe your life can be changed in one service? Let me see your hands. Okay, put up the other hand because we're not going to get it unless we ask for it. So Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this church I love so much. You love so much. I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, do again what you love to do the most. Glorify Jesus. Reveal him in a way like we've never seen him before. And as you do, may we go from faith to faith, strength to strength, and glory to glory. For I declare your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done in this place. And for this, we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees, shouts. Come on, give him praise. Give him praise for what God Amen. You can be seated. Give me some house lights. I got to see my family when I'm talking to them, okay? All right. Um, I'm going to share with you today out of the newest book I've written. It just came out less than a month ago. It's called The Awe of God. And I'm going to share three scriptures right up front. Actually, I'm going to share a lot of scriptures with you today. So I want you to be ready. I want you to really listen. First one I want to open up with is Isaiah 33, 6. It tells us that the fear of the Lord, listen to these words, the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Stop and just think about that. Do you have treasures? What do you do with your treasures? You protect them. You keep them safe. Make sure they're not misused. What is God's treasure? The fear of the Lord. Okay, now does that, does that cause you to think just for a minute? Let me show you something even just as cool. Isaiah 11 says that the fear of the Lord is Jesus' delight. Okay, we just talked about God's treasure and what Jesus delighted in. Now, let me show you what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not with love and kindness, with fear and trembling. I want to share with you this morning God's treasure, Jesus' delight, and what matures our salvation, the fear of the Lord. Now, first of all, let me, because I lived in an age back in the 90s, you, some of you will remember, we wore t-shirts that said, no fear, we wanted to eradicate all fears from our life. Can I tell you, we made a mistake. We put all fears in one bucket, destructive fears. There are beneficial fears, there are destructive fears. Hey, fear produces wisdom. 
The fear of being mauled by a mother grizzly bear will keep me from playing with her cubs. That's wisdom, okay? The fear of the Lord is God's treasure, Jesus' delight, and what matures our salvation. So what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? So first of all, let me say this. It is not to be scared of God. How can we have a relationship of intimacy with somebody we're scared of? And yet that's God's number one passion is to be intimate with you. When Moses brought Israel to meet with God at Mount Sinai and God's presence came on that mountain, the peoples ran away and Moses made a statement that I think a lot of people miss in Exodus 2020. If you want a 2020 vision, here it is. He said, do not fear because God's come to test you to see that his fear is in you so that you may not sin. Now, wait a minute. Look up at me. Do not fear because God's come to test you to see if his fear is in you. Is, is Moses contradicting himself? No, he's differentiating between being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. There's a difference. The person who is scared of God is something to hide. What does Adam do when he sins against God? He hides from the presence of the Lord. The person who fears God has nothing to hide. That person's terrified of being away from God. So if you want the first definition of the holy fear of God, it is to be terrified of being away from God. Okay, I love it. I love you're here. And uh, so, so, I love this pastor. So anyway, the fear of the Lord is when we stand in awe of God. Okay, it's when we honor and we tremble and we revere, we esteem, we respect, we value, we venerate him more than anything or anyone else. Okay, and so when we fear God, we take on God's heart. So we end up loving what he loves, and we end up hating what he hates. You say, whoa, 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 hate's a strong word. Yeah, it is. It's a strong word. Because look at what the Bible says. All who fear the Lord, watch this, will hate evil. Notice the word hate. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and a perverted speech. Now, now, wait, 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 John. I, I don't like this word hate either. Man, you're bringing up all these, these, these trigger words. Fear, hate. Okay, let me, let me show you what a legalistic person does. A legalistic person says, I hate those sinners over there because I fear God. No, you don't fear God at all because you hate what he loves. God loves those sinners so much, he sent Jesus to die for them. So you hate what he loves. What God hates is the sin that unmakes them. You say, John, God hates? Yes, God hates. Okay? Look it up in your Bible. I'll never forget, back in the 1990s, I was praying every morning for two hours. Every single morning. I would set my alarm. Steve, no kidding, at 4.45 a.m. I'd be outside praying at 5 a.m. And I'd finish at 7. I'd be at the office by 8. And I remember back in those days, I'd speak and my words didn't carry weight. They didn't carry authority. They, They had no anointing on them. And one day I was frustrated. I said, God, Father, I don't get it. I pray two hours every morning. Why isn't there a stronger anointing on my life? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, because you tolerate sin. I said, what? He said, you tolerate sin. Not only in your life, but in the lives of others. And then he said, read Hebrews 1. So I go over to Hebrews 1, and I find out this is when God the Father inaugurates Jesus as king of the universe. And God the Father says to the Son, because you have loved righteousness. And the Holy Spirit said, stop. Every Christian loves righteousness. He said, but I didn't stop there. Because you love righteousness and hate it. Notice the word hated. Sin. 
Lawlessness just means not being submitted to the authority of God because you've hated sin. Therefore, God, even your God has anointed you more than your companions. And the Holy Spirit said to me, learn to hate sin the way I hate sin, and you'll see the anointing of God increase upon your life. See, the problem is we dislike what God hates. We tolerate what he dislikes. or Excuse me, we tolerate what he hates. That's not the fear of the Lord. So if you want to put the fear of the Lord in two categories, we're going to put it in two categories. Category number one is to tremble at his presence. Category number two is to tremble at his word. Both of these are scriptural terms. Uh, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, do you not fear me? Says the Lord, will you not tremble at my presence? Remember, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not love and kindness. Psalm 89, verse 7, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, says God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who surround him. Now look at the second part of the verse. God is to be held in reverence by all those who, who surround him. You will never find God in an atmosphere where he's not held with the utmost of respect. Let me tell you when I first learned this. Back in 1997, I was asked for the first time to come to the nation of Brazil. And it just so happened it was their national conference. And I remember going down there and they drove me on Friday night to the arena. This is not an auditorium. This is an arena. I remember they walked me in and they had, that's back in the days, they put the pastors on the platform I, Oh, am I glad we don't do that anymore. You feel like a spectacle. Anyway, so, but, but it was cool because I'm seeing the whole arena and there's not a seat open in the whole arena, okay? Thousands of Brazilians. And, and the worship team is really good, but there's no presence of God. None. Not, not, a, not a drop of the presence of God. So, so there's this omnipresence. That's where God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's where David said, where can I flee from your presence? But then there's this manifest presence. Jesus said, I will manifest myself. That is when God makes himself real to our senses. That's a real part of Christianity. That is absent in that place. And I I bowed my head and I said, Lord, where is your presence? This is a believer's conference. And and I opened my eyes and I saw what I couldn't see before. I I, I see the people standing around with their arms crossed, looking around during worship. They got their hands in their pocket looking down. They're they're walking over, visiting with people. They were talking amongst each other, fumbling through their purses. I'm watching people go down from the arena stands to to, to the concession stands and getting their tacos or nachos or whatever they're eating. And and, and, and I'm getting a little upset at this point. And the Holy Spirit said, son, you got to deal with this. And I remember when the music stopped, the worship stopped, you could now, because there's no music, hear the people, the muttering from the people talking. And, and the leader comes up and starts reading from the scripture. And you still hear the people talking. They're moving around, getting their concessions. And I'm like, what is going on? So the Lord says, you got to deal with this. And I'm like, how? How do I even get their attention? And I remember when they introduced me, I'm the Friday night guest speaker of the National Convention. <clears throat> and I just sat there and stared at him. Didn't say a word. Now, when, you're, when you've been introduced and you're staring at him for 60 seconds and not saying a word, not moving, that will get people's attention. And I remember when, when, when all the muttering stopped, every eye's on me, and I realized every eye was on me in place. I said, I got a question. These are the first words I ever spoke in Brazil in public. I didn't say, show a picture of my family. I didn't say, hey, it's nice to be here. I said, I got a question. Question number one. You're talking to a person sitting across the table. And the whole time you're talking to them, they got their arms crossed looking around. They got their hands in their pocket looking down. Or they're whispering to somebody sitting beside them. I said, will you continue to talk to them? 
No. I said, I have been in this arena for an hour and a half, and I said, there's not an ounce of the presence of God in this place because God will never come into a place where he's not held with the utmost of respect. I said, if your president of Brazil would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the attention you did the Holy Spirit. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player, your national champion, would have walked on this platform tonight. You would have been on the edge of your seats anticipating every word. I said, you give no respect to the spirit of God. And I, said, and I preached to them for 75 minutes on the fear of the Lord. Wow. At the end of the 75 minutes, I said, you're in this place and you, now this is a believer's conference. I said, and, and, and you say, you believe in Jesus, but you lack the fear of God and you're willing to repent, stand up. Three-fourths of the arena stands at their feet. As soon as they stand, the presence of God comes in. People start weeping all over the place, right? It was beautiful. Finally, right? And I, I remember I lead him in the prayer of repentance and the Holy Spirit said, now son, I'm coming one more time in a significant way. And I'll never forget this. I have no way of ever describing this, but I'm gonna try. Within 30 seconds of him saying, I'm coming one more time. Imagine yourself at the end of Orlando Airport's runway and a Boeing jet takes off. That kind of a violent wind came blowing into the arena. Okay, the wind blew, but we didn't feel it. When it did, the people started screaming. Can you imagine thousands of Latinos screaming? <laughs> the wind was higher. It was louder. And I remember I am standing on that platform, petrified. Okay? Petrified. Terrified. But yet I'm drawn to it. It's the weirdest thing. You're literally terrified, but you're drawn to it. And I remember all I was saying was, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember the authority of that presence was something I had never encountered before. I thought to myself, John Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. Now, would I have died? I don't know, but I will tell you there was a husband and wife who brought up an offering in their church service in Acts chapter five, and they did it with their reverence. And they're dead. They buried them the same day. Okay? I knew irreverence wouldn't be tolerated. And I remember that wind lasted 90 seconds. It subsided, left in its wake. People collapsed all over the arena. They were collapsed in, in the seat before them. Some people are bawling. And I'm standing there and I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I do? And the Lord's like, I'm through with you. <laughs> so I said to the leader, it's all yours. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I remember they immediately bring me out to the car. They bring the singer, the national singer, and her husband in the car. She screams, did you hear the wind? I said, maybe it was a jet aircraft flew above the building too, too low. And she goes, what are you talking about? I saw fire all around the building. And she goes on. And her husband calms her down. He was a lot quieter guy. And he goes, sir, that was no jet airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, there were security and policemen all around the outside of the arena. They're union workers. They're, most of them aren't even safe. He said, when the wind began to blow, they came running in saying to our leaders, what is going on? He said, I'm standing by the soundboard. And he said, I'm looking at the decimal meters because I got to make sure my wife's volumes are right for her singing. He said, the decimal meters at zero the whole time. The wind blew. Not one ounce of the sound of the wind came through our sound system. I said, my God, take me to my hotel room. And I, I remember sitting on my balcony that night, worshiping until 1.30 in the morning. The next morning, Saturday morning at the same arena, same conference, you cannot believe the miracles that occurred because of the presence of God, because of reverence. 
Okay, we heard about this wind for 22 years through mail snail. I remember I went to 2016, I went down to Goiânia, Brazil, speak to 12,000 pastors and leaders. The first pastor greets me, one of the leading pastors, says, I was in the building 20 years ago in 1997 when the wind blew. My life has never been the same. The awe of God changes you. It changes your life forever, okay? Now, God makes a statement. He says in Leviticus, the 10th chapter, the third verse, he said, by those who come near me. Remember, the Bible says, draw near to God. But, but God says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. You know, I used to struggle to get into the presence of God. And I would pray, I would sing, I would pray in the spirit, I would pray and understand, and I'd struggle. One morning I thought, I'm just going to think about the awesomeness of my dad. And I started thinking about how God weighed every drop of water in the planet in the palm of his hands. I weighed the mountains in a scale. He put the stars in the heavens with his fingers. And all of a sudden, there's the presence of God. I thought, oh. That was easy. So I prayed, had a great prayer time. Next morning, I said, I'm going to try that again. So I tried it again. Boom! There's the presence of God. I thought, what? Next morning, I said, I'm going to try it again. Boom! There's the presence of God. I said, Lord, it's so easy to get into your presence right now. What's going on? He said, how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? I thought, our Father, which art in heaven, how hallowed. There it is. Jesus, you taught your disciples the only way to come into the presence of God it's a reverential fear. And I was in Malaysia a couple years in 1999, two years after Brazil. Same thing happened again. This time it's not an arena. It's, a, it's an auditorium. It's a national conference. People travel from all over Malaysia. Malaysia is a Muslim state. We were in Kuala Lumpur. And I remember it was the 10th service. The, auto, the auditorium is jam-packed. That presence comes in again. Now it's not wind. The people started screaming. And I'm talking about like they were on fire, okay? And this presence, this time, was even greater than Brazil. And I remember, I am again sitting there going, Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make a wrong move, you're dead. Because the authority of this presence was mind-blowing. And I remember, it's, it, it's, it, it, as it's going on, I am, I am pacing back and forth going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember the thought, actually the thought doesn't come to mind. The words come out of my mouth before I'd ever thought it. I'd never thought of this in my entire life. I remember walking back and forth and all of a sudden out of my mouth comes this. This is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I went, oh wow. Now I didn't say it. I just thought that's it. That's one of the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Because Isaiah said, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Jesus. The spirit of wisdom, spirit of, of counsel, of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge. Look at this. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I thought that's one of his manifestations. And I remember this time it lasted five minutes. And I remember it left in its wake. People just collapsed all over the, uh, the auditorium. And I'm, I'm standing there, and I'm going, what do I do? What do I do? And the Lord's like, I'm through, son, with you. So I turn over to the leader. Now, he's wise. He's a national leader in Malaysia, very well known. He goes, you know, normally we'd end with a song. We're not doing that. He said, you just stay. Just stay as long as you want. And I remember um, I, I, I stayed about 15 minutes, and I felt released. And I'm walking out of the building, and there's a couple from India, the nation of India. They're, 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 uh, they're in the Bible school. And, they're, and they're, they, they just look at me. And I look at them. I mean, they both got nailed by that presence. And we're just looking at each other. Her eyes are all red from weeping. And she looks at me and she goes, I feel so clean inside. I said, that's it. 
that's it. I feel clean, clean, clean. I remember leaving. I went back to my hotel room. I thought that night, Friday night, I thought, I feel clean. That's what I felt in Brazil. That's what I feel now. That's what I felt in California. That's what I felt in North Carolina. That's what I feel. Because it's only happened like six times in my life. And I remember, I feel so clean. So next morning, I'm getting ready to play basketball with the Bible school students in Malaysia, right? And I'm putting on my gym shorts. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He said, son, read Psalm 19. Now, I had no idea what's in Psalm 19. So I read verse 1, 2, 3, 4. Then I get to verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Oh, my goodness. There it is. The fear of the Lord is clean. Now, look at the next words. Enduring forever. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, look at the words enduring forever. He said, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He beheld my glory and was anointed to do so. He did not fear me. He didn't endure in heaven forever. A third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure forever. He said, Adam and Eve walked in the presence of my glory. They did not fear me. They didn't endure in the garden forever. He said, every created being that surrounds my throne will be tested in the holy fear of God. And then I started thinking afterwards, there are a lot of pastors that started in ministry. They wanted to help people. They loved Jesus passionately, but they didn't endure in the pastorate forever. One of them was an internationally known evangelist, one of the best known evangelists on the entire planet. 1994, I'm sitting in prison with him. And he said, John, I loved Jesus the whole time. I was committing adultery and mail fraud and all the other stuff I did that got me in prison. I loved him all the way through it. And I was mad. I said, what do you mean you loved Jesus? He said, John, I didn't fear God. He said, there are millions of Americans just like me. They love Jesus, but they have no fear of God. Barna has just done a study, a really in-depth study. And you know what they discovered? In the last 23 years, since 2000, over 23 million Americans have gone from being practicing believers, practicing Christians, to non-Christians. They are professed atheists, agnostics, and spiritualists. 23 million. Do you understand that's one out of every 14 people in, a, in the United States? That's not one out of every 14 people in churches. That's one out of every 14 people in the United States have walked away from the faith. Paul the Apostle prophesied it. Look what he said in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He says, that day will not come unless the apostasy comes, unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed Christians has come. 23 million, one out of every 14, we're in it, baby. And he prophesied it. And why is it happening? Because we're not preaching what completes or matures our salvation. We're not preaching what gives us a close relationship with God. We've neglected to preach the fear of the Lord. Yet Paul tells us, holiness is perfected in the fear of the Lord. What kind of bride is Jesus coming back for? A holy bride. Not a leadership-driven bride. Not a relevant bride. Not a community bride. A holy bride. Because holiness, Paul the apostle said, is what perfects, or, or, or the fear of the Lord is what perfects holiness. Let me, let me say one thing, though. Paul said there's going to be a great falling away, but he didn't say they're not going to come back. And just as John the Baptist was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe there's going to be thousands of young men and women, older men and women. They're going to go after the lost sheep of the church and bring them back. Amen. 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 
It is to tremble at his word. What does it mean to tremble? The fear of the Lord is to tremble at his presence, tremble at his word. What does it mean to tremble at his word? This is the, God, God had Israel. Israel's, they're, they're selectively obeying what they, they're selectively obeying God. In other words, what didn't work out for their agenda, their schedule, what, did, what they really didn't like, they, they kind of ignored. And God said, you know what? Your obedience that you are doing is like offering pig's blood to me. That's like the biggest insult you can make to a Jew. God said it to him in Isaiah 66 because you're selectively obeying me. He said, but this is the one I'm going to look at. And that word look means this is the one I'm going to pay close attention to. On him who is humble and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What does it mean to tremble at God's word? It means we obey him instantly. David makes the statement, I will hurry to obey your commands because David feared God. It means we'll obey him when it doesn't make sense. Does it make sense to forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply? Does it make sense to bless the people that are cursing you or doing good to those people that abuse you? Does it make sense to spit on the ground and make mud and put it in a man's eyes and he sees? I could go on and on. It means we'll obey God even if it hurts. Jesus is our example, and Peter says, like Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Now, religion seeks to suffer to please the God, little g it serves. Christianity says, I will obey God, and even though I, even though I live in a fallen world that's current is against obedience to God, I know I'm going to suffer affliction, hardship, and persecution from it. To tremble at God's word means we'll obey God even if we don't see a benefit. Sadly, the only way... It seems it's become the only way you can get Western Christians to obey God is show them the benefit. If you give, God will do this. If you pray, God will do this. If you serve, God will do this. What if Esther bought into that? What if the only way she's going to obey is if she sees a benefit? She had nothing to gain in her obedience to God and everything to lose, including her head. But she says to her cousin, hey, you guys fast because I'm going before the king and if my head gets cut off, my head gets cut off. She had everything to lose and nothing to gain. She, she feared God. Number five, it means you obey to completion. Saul did 99.99% of what God asked him to do, but God said he's disobeyed me. Why don't you look at all that I did do? I did 99.99%. Nope. We obey God to completion. Now, what are the benefits? I, 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 here's where I'm, I'm down to nine minutes and I could spend all day on this. There, there's over 40 benefits I have I've only made to those who fear God. Here's the number one, number one benefit. You get a friendship. You get friendship with God. The Bible says in Psalm 25, 14, you want to know my favorite scripture in the Bible? This is it. Psalm 25, verse 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will share with, with them. He will show him, them his, excuse me, and he will show them his covenant. Now, look at the first part, the secret of the Lord. The word secret there in Hebrew means the secrets. The secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. Now, do you have secrets in your life? Let me see a show of hands if you've got secrets in your life. What do I do with the rest of you? Pray for you for lying right now or later. All secrets are not bad. There are good secrets. So can I see a show of hands? How many of you got secrets? Okay, everybody. All right. Who do you share your secrets with? Acquaintances or intimate close friends? 
intimate close friends. God's no different. God says, I share my secrets, my intimate close friends, and my intimate close friends are those who fear me. Let me prove to you I'm not taking this out of context. Look at the NLT version. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. Now, who's the first person in the Bible that's called the friend of God? It's Abraham. Why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because God comes to him one night and says, Abe, yes, Lord, yes, 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 yes. Abe, you know your son who you waited for for 25 years, who I promised for you, who, who you love deeply? I want you to go on a three-day journey and kill him for me. And God didn't tell him why. He doesn't say, if you go sacrifice your son, then I'll send my son. He doesn't say that. He says, go sacrifice your son. Can you imagine that night? I, I don't think he slept. Now, look what my Bible says. Early the next morning. Okay, you know how some people say, well, you know that Lord's been dealing with me about this now for several months. <laughs> you are bragging about your lack of godly fear. Okay, it doesn't make sense. Early the next morning, he's on his way. Now, it's easier when you heard the booming voice of God the night before, but what about two and a half days later when you're looking at the mountain, you're going to put the most important person or thing to death in your life just because God said do it and didn't give you a reason. Can you imagine the emotional trauma he's going through? He's got his 12-year-old son, 13-year-old son there. They're building the altar together, and he knows I'm going to run a knife through him. Abraham ties Isaac up, lifts the knife, ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. And the angel of the Lord appears, and the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, stop, because now I know you fear God. How did the angel know that Abraham feared God? Because he obeyed instantly, because he obeyed when it didn't make sense, because he obeyed when he hurt, because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit, and because he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife, unties Isaac, lifts up his eyes. There's a ram caught in the thicket, and out of Abraham comes Jehovah Jireh. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham that nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Okay, you're not getting this. Some of you aren't getting this. Okay, okay. All of you know me as John Bevere communicator. Some of you know me as John Bevere author, but there is a lady, and oh, she's a lady. I've been married to her for 41 years. Okay, she knows me as John Bevere husband, John Bevere best friend. She knows me as John Bevere athlete. She knows me as John Bevere daddy, John Bevere G daddy. She knows me as John Bevere husband. That is a facet of my personality you will never know because it's reserved for the closest person to me on the earth. God just revealed the facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Now look at the relationship between God and Abraham. It's amazing. One day the Lord says, should we do what we're planning on doing in Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend Abraham? So the Lord comes down and has, an, has a meal with two angels with Abraham. And, and, and then Abraham and God go over and walk on the cliff. The angels goes, go down to Sodom. And, and the Lord, they're, they're, they're overlooking the plains of Jordan. And the Lord goes, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities. What do you think? Abe goes, Sodom? And the Lord goes, yeah, 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 and Gomorrah. What do you think? And Abraham goes, think, 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 think. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, uh, my nephew's over there, lots over there. Okay, what do I do? Okay, Lord, you wouldn't like blow up these cities if there was 50 righteous people. And the Lord says, excellent, excellent idea. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham goes, what if there isn't 50? Okay, Lord, wait a minute. What about 45? Would you blow them up if there's 45? The Lord goes, another good idea. Okay, we will not blow up the cities if there's 45. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham talks him all the way down to 10. He figures there's got to be 10. 
I mean, Lot's one. All he needs is nine other guys. But there isn't. There isn't. Now, here's, this, here's the thing. The Bible says that Sodom and Gomorrah is buying, selling, trading, planting, harvesting, marrying, and giving in marriage. What is all of that translated into our vernacular? <laughs> Life is great. And if there's a, our economy's booming, and if there's a God, he doesn't mind our lifestyle of lewdness. They're 24 hours away from being obliterated, and they're clueless. Okay, this is not, that's not scary. This is what's scary. Lot. Everybody say Lot. Who the Bible calls righteous. First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter 1. Okay, can I say it in today's terminology that you'll get it? Saved. Born again. Christian. He's 24 hours away from being obliterated. He's as clueless as Sodom. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed, thank God Abraham prayed, to get him out. Now here's two righteous, saved, born-again men. One righteous, saved, born-again man knows what God's going to do before he does it and helps God decide how he's going to do it. The other righteous, saved, born-again man is as clueless as the world. Why? This righteous, saved, born-again man fears God. Therefore, he's the friend of God. Therefore, God shares his secrets with him. This righteous, saved, born-again man does not fear God. Therefore, he is not the friend of God. Therefore, he doesn't know the secrets of God. Now, is that true for us? Jesus makes a statement, John 15, 15. He said, you are my friends. Now, we preach sermons on it. We write songs about it. We talk about it. We say, Jesus, he's my friend. We make him like a buddy. But we never finish the sentence because he said if. If is a condition. If I look at you and say, you work for me 40 hours next week, if you work for me 40 hours next week, I'll pay you $2,000. You don't work the 40 hours and you come looking for the $2,000? I look at you and go, you didn't work. It was a condition. I said, if. Jesus said, you're my friends. If. There's a condition on friendship with Jesus. What's the condition? If you do. Whatever I command you. There it is, the fear of the Lord, trembling at his word. You know what Jesus is saying? Not everybody in the church is my close friend. Did you get what I just said? Not everyone in the church is my close friend. Only those who fear God and tremble at his word and tremble at his presence. They're the ones who are my friends. When we fear God, we are promised a lasting legacy. We are promised long life. We are promised productive days. We are promised multiplication. We are promised angelic protection. We are promised goodness. We are promised delight in obeying his commandments. Why can you have two people? One, it's a drudgery to obey God. The other one, it's a delight. Simple. Listen to what Paul said. For it is God who is at work within you. You who? You who are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Is God working in you both to desire and the will? Let me show it to you. Philippians is the very last frame, guys. Live in the holy awe of God. This is New Testament, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. The fear of God keeps us from sin. It gives us an intimate relationship with God. And there's over 40 promises that he makes only to those who fear him. It's not made to everybody in the church. I want every head bowed.
I want every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I have preached what you have commanded me to preach, and I thank you so much for your faithfulness. If you're in here this morning, and you'd say, John, I don't really even know if I have a relationship with God. Well, you came to the right place. This is a church that believes in having a relationship with Jesus, having a relationship with our Creator. However, I think what's kept more people from the kingdom is the fact that we reduce it down to a sinner's prayer. You know, you can say a sinner's prayer and still have a bunch of idols in your heart. Apostle Paul makes a statement. He said, a man leaves his father and mother, and the man is joined to his wife, and the two become one. He said, but this is actually an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. God gave us an illustration we see every day. The union of a man and a woman gives us that as an example of how we can have a relationship with him. Now, when a girl puts on a white dress and she walks down an aisle of a church, she's actually making a pretty strong statement. She's saying goodbye to about 3.9 billion men. Yeah, every man on the planet of the earth. She's saying, this is the one and only man I'm giving my entire life to. Doesn't make her perfect in behavior the first week, month, year, even 50 years. Just means she's given her entire heart. You know, when I married Lisa... If she would have said to me before we got married, you know, John, Tony was my high school sweetheart. We dated for several years. Can I have a couple nights with him a year? And Peter, I was pinned to him in college. I'd like a week with him. But John, you'll be my favorite. I'll love you more than Peter and Tony, but I just need a few nights with them. I never would have entered that marriage covenant. And if you think Jesus, the groom, the Bible calls him the groom. If you think he left, which you can't even imagine, knowing that he would be rejected, he would be shamed, dishonored, he would be lied about, he would be beat, he would be spit in the face. He knew it, that he'd have his beard plucked out, he'd have thorns shoved into his head, that he would have a whip come across his back and rip flesh out of him, so much so beat up that he wouldn't even look like a human being when they were done with him. And then, nailed to a cross, he knows all of this, and shed every drop of blood just because he gave himself for his bride, which is you. He gave himself completely. And you think you can keep all these lovers that put him on that cross? Your choice? Your, your choice to choose what actually drove the nails in his hands for you to flirt with a couple days a year, a couple weeks a year? You think he's coming back for that bride. That's why you're not experiencing intimacy. That's why you feel a little distant even though you're in a great church. That's why you wonder what people are talking about when they talk about a real intimate close relationship. You don't have one. Somebody somebody got you to pray a formula prayer and you got a relationship with a knockoff Jesus. But a knockoff Jesus doesn't change your nature. He doesn't change your desires. He doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't, he, do, he doesn't fulfill his promises. I want you to meet the real Jesus. If you're in here this morning and you say, John, I have not done what that bride does. I have not given him my entire heart and life. And I'm ready to do it right now. If that's you, put your hand up in the air high. I want to pray for you this morning. Wow, look at all the hands. Put them up. No bride's ever been ashamed. Now, if your hand's in the air, stand up right now, immediately. No, no bride's ever been ashamed. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. 
So if that's you, stand up. I'm looking at about 50 people stand. I want to make sure there's nobody else. I want to make sure if you're sitting down and you want to be standing up, ask yourself, what could be better than life eternal and knowing my creator intimately? And then make the decision. If you want your worldly things, you want your desires, you want all that, then that, that God will respect your right to choose that and, and spend eternity apart from him in a like of fire. He will respect that because he gave you a free will. Jesus doesn't want anybody forced to choose him. Is there anyone else? I want to make sure. If you're sitting down and you say, gosh, I want to be standing up, get up right now. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed, because I want you to decide if you're the only one. Yes, ma'am, you're worth the wait. Yes, ma'am, you're worth the wait. Yes, sir, you are worth the wait. Every one of you that just stood, you're worth the wait. Now, if you're in here, there's, there's about 50 people standing right now. If you're in here and you say, hey, John, I am truly a believer, but I lack the fear of God, and I, I want the fear of God. I'm willing to repent of my lack of godly fear. I want it. You stand up with them right now. Just stand up quickly. Wow, look at this. This is amazing. That's why I love this church so much. Just stand up quickly. I want to pray with you. Gosh, this is beautiful. I'm so proud. You know, if you could see the Lord right now, he, he has the biggest smile on his face. I can actually see his eyes are dancing with joy. I mean, he already died for you when you didn't even respond to him. How much more now that you're responding to him? Is there anyone else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. If your husband's sitting and you're not, and you want to be, why are you sitting? That's a lack of the fear of God. You fear man. Stand up. The fear of God will deliver you of the fear of man. That's it. See, the fear of man is, I just want to please man. Just like the fear of God says, I want to please God. The fear of God delivers you from the fear of man. I just saw a bunch of people just stand up. Wow, this is beautiful. I love your obedience. All right, can you pray this prayer with me? Say this out loud. Say, God in heaven. No, 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 out loud. I want you to say it really like you mean it. God in heaven, thank you so much for speaking to my heart today. Forgive me for living life my way, apart from you, my creator. But today, that's all ending. This day, I give my spirit, soul, and body, everything I am, everything I have, to you, Jesus. Jesus, you're my Lord, my King, my God and my groom. My life is yours forever. And I'm asking you, <laughs> baptize me in your Holy Spirit of the fear of the Lord. In Jesus' name. And I want you to say a big hearty amen.